It's time. Time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. So depending on who you're voting for, today is either going to be uh, a party night or will forever be known as Black Tuesday. <laughs> it's, well, there is basketball. So, you know, that's the thing about you know the sports. <laughs> I guess it all just depends. Depends on your point of view. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and I am Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Christ. My job is to dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment. Take a look at what's going on on the religious scene out there in America. Ask the question, is what you're hearing biblical Christianity? Or is it something else? If it falls into the something else category, then we follow the biblical instructions to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Simple enough, right? Not exactly uh, a fun job, but one of the tasks given, according to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit today. So today on uh, our program, we're going to do some listener email. Got to tell you, I've you guys are sending some of the best emails ever. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm, I'm reading these emails and going, "Wow, these are good follow up." questions they're well thunk they're they're good commentary some of them are short and pithy i mean i think even uh, o'reilly would be happy with some of these emails so i'm going to read some of your listener email on uh, you know, on the show today and uh, one in particular we're going to it's going to cause us to have to go into a little bit of deep biblical study on this on good works and the gifts of the holy spirit okay so we're going to take a look at that and uh we got more on the uh, barack obama as messiah uh issue now, remember, I, I can care less about the politics at this point. You know, for fighting for the faith, we're dealing with the, the religious angle. Some of you I know are voting for Obama. I'm not going to sit here and browbeat you. Some of you are voting for McCain. I'm not going to sit here and browbeat you. You know, I I, uh, I held my nose and I did my voting today, to, too, because, quite frankly, I wasn't satisfied with anybody. Ron Paul? <laughs> Uh, I wanted to do a write-in for Mickey Mouse, but it's a little difficult doing. Some state still has Ron Paul on there. Yeah. Oh, does California? No. No, I didn't see Ron Paul on the. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) just so you know, um, if you want to know Roseboro's political affiliation, I'm a. You can say I'm a recovering Republican, heading really towards libertarianism. So. and all that that means. Basically, um, I am a limited government guy. I believe in uh, in the government having its hands completely tied as much as possible and love political gridlock. That's just where I'm at. So um, don't think we're going to have political gridlock for the next couple of years. It ought to be interesting. And so after we talk about the Obama thing, actually, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Obama as Messiah. I, I, it's, you know, Thanks to some of my listeners, I was able to find a, a video interview that uh, Matt Lauer from the NBC Today show did with Barack Obama, and he brought up this whole Messiah issue. And uh, what's funny is is uh, the the answer to the question, or what it wasn't said in the answer to the question, is rather telling. It <laughs> adds more fuel to my Obama as Messiah problem. And so my question is, is that it, now that today is probably going to be the inauguration, you know, the kickoff of the inaugural celebration of our newly crowned king, <laughs> President Barack Obama, since he's supposed to be the one, according to Oprah, 
and he's got and people are are touting him to be the Messiah. It, should we refer to him as Mr. President or as His Holiness? Yeah, just you know, this is a fair question. Do we just call him the first dude? Well, no, I think that's Palin's uh, husband. Yeah, the first dude. And then uh, there's a uh, there, there's a Christian organization, the Christian Anti Defamation Commission. Anti Defamation Commission. Sorry, there. Uh, they they've got a series of YouTube videos out there uh, claiming that Obama isn't even a Christian, and uh, we're going to listen to one of w- one of their videos. And I, I'm going to just ask the question: Does it matter if our president is a Christian? Okay. Now I know this is a theological program, but I kind of I, I'm in the same camp as Martin Luther. I'm going to steal a little bit of my own thunder here. I mean, I would rather have uh, a Muslim running the country who actually had good governmental policies and ideas than a whacked-out, bureaucratic, uh, maniac, Bible-thumper, purpose-driven Christian. You know, I mean, that's just, if I had to choose between one of those two, I mean, that's where I'd be. Now, I understand that, you know, that's going to cause some of you to go, (laughs) what did Luther call them? Turks. You know, he'd rather have a, you know, a smart Turk than a, you know, a dumb Christian running the country. So what it boils down to is policy. As far as I'm concerned, if you look across the history of the United States, not all of our presidents have been Christian. Gasp, shock. I know some of you are going to throw stones at me. Let it be. (laughs) But, you know, so as far as I'm concerned, whether or not the person is a Christian or not um, doesn't really matter. Now, where it gets interesting with the Obama thing is that he claims to be a Christian and so because he claims to be a Christian, we're capable of taking what he's said in public, comparing it to the word of God and try to figure out, uh, is, you know, is he really a Christian? And since, since, you know, he claims to be a Christian and he makes bizarre claims, then that, that, that says something about his character and what he thinks about the truth. Those are the things that should be disturbing. So we'll talk about that. And then I got an, I, earlier today, I actually did an interview with uh, one of the co-founders of a website uh, that claims that they're trying to sell one million T-shirts for Jesus Christ. One, it's called one million for Jesus Christ dot com, and they, the the website itself has it's like the number one and the number four, so one m four jc dot com. And uh, you know, this is a guy who's uh, who's out there selling what I lovingly call as Jesus junk. And, uh, you know, what I, you know, when I saw the ad for their uh, website, I, you know, while I was uh, doing show prep a few days ago, it, it, it caught my eye and I went to their website. I thought it was a little bit interesting. And I, I just basically wanted to call these, this, you know, these guys up and ask them what inspired them to do these things. And I asked, wanted to ask them some tough questions. What I find interesting about the interview after reviewing it, after I did it, is, is that, you know, he, the one thing you can say about, uh, this gentleman, is, uh, Mr., uh, I forget his name right now, Jim. I have to look in my notes, but uh, uh, the one thing that's interesting about him is, is that he seems like an upstanding and sincere guy, okay? Upstanding and sincere. The one thing you're going to be able to say about him is, is that he's not doing anything out of malice. He sounds like, you know, he's really sincere in his intentions and why he's doing the, you know, why he started this website and why he wants to do this thing. Um and so you can't fault him for that. And one of the, the nice byproducts of his starting this company is that it's forced him because he wants to go out there and market these and sell these 1 million t-shirts for Jesus is that it's caused him to get out there and actually do some evangelism, set up some booths and get to some places where he's had to mix it up with some non-believers. So on the one hand, I'm not a big fan of evangelism via t-shirts. 
on the other hand, just in, in, in having this conversation with this gentleman, the one thing you can't say is is that he wasn't, uh, you know, that, 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 you know, at least the gospel wasn't heard, and you'll actually get to hear his definition of the gospel along the way, too. So I, I wouldn't say the guy is, you know, a blathering heretic. He's nothing like that at all. He's, he's a fairly new Christian, has a lot of zeal, maybe not the, the you know, best guidance, but, you know, it's not like he's just, he's out there playing roughshod with Jesus and wants, and is trying to engage in, in really perverse profiteering. So we'll, we'll, we'll hear from him uh, later in the program. So without any further ado, we'll get into our uh, listener email. Again, we got some really good ones uh, this, this week. Um, Ray writes me, and he's he's talking about the Alpha and Omega video clip that we played yesterday, where uh, these Barack Obama youth are, uh, you know, basically saying Alpha Omega. And he has he has an interesting interpretation of this particular video. Let me play the sound from this video so you know what we're talking about here. Remember, Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega, and we've got a YouTube video where the Missouri, uh, this is actually a performance by students from the Urban Community Leadership Academy of Kansas City, Missouri. That's who this is. And uh, listen to this again. Alpha, Omega, Alpha, Omega. Now remember, Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega. Now, um, so... You know, they basically come marching in saying Alpha and Omega, and then each of these kids steps out of line and gives, uh, you know, talks about how Barack Obama has inspired them to, to different, um, you know. Because of Obama, I'm inspired to be the next doctor. Because of Obama, I aspire to be the next doctor. Because of Obama, I aspire to be the next lawyer. Because of Obama, I aspire to be the next lawyer. So what played that in yesterday's show, Ray has an interesting interpretation of the Alpha and Omega thing. Um, he says, in this video, it seems, since their diction is terrible, that they are saying Alpha, Omega, rather than Alpha and Omega, which could be a reference to a fraternity, a chapter of a fraternity, or some other social club using Greek letters as a call sign. See, now, Ray, that's actually a legitimate interpretation and, um, you know, which, you know, that's completely possible. They're just talking about their fraternity. Um, anyways, he says, uh, okay, a social club, Greek club has call signs in which they may not be calling Obama the Alpha and Omega, but just declaring who they are. Now, this is interesting. I, I just want to, uh, <clears throat> let me pull this up because I had looked up the website of the Urban Community Leadership Academy of Kansas City. They actually have a website. And I wanted to see if Alpha and Omega was their, um, were part of their seal and, uh, you know, as part of their fraternity. And it turns out Alpha and Omega is not part of their seal. So that's not officially part of their logo, nor is it part of their slogan or whatever. So when you, when you, when you do the, go to the website for the Urban Community Leadership Academy, Nothing comes up that shows Alpha and Omega as their um, particular uh, call sign. In fact, that logo that's on the T-shirts for these kids is the same one as the one that's on uh, on the logo for their website. So Alpha and Omega is mysteriously missing there. So that may or may not support the uh, the theory that you got there. But I tell you, uh, Ray, that's actually not a bad theory. So... All right, let's see here. Okay, we're moving on. So, 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 but just declaring who they are. That being said, there's still a lot of praising of Obama, even at one point with it seeming like they are looking up to heaven while extolling him. So I'm not 
putting calling him Alpha and Omega past them, just wanted to bring up that possibility lest we call on something they're not actually doing. That's absolutely right. What's funny is, is y- y'all sometimes, when you send me emails, you, you got little taglines at the end of their e- People have little taglines at the end of their emails. Ray has a hilarious one. Those of you who, who watch SpongeBob or, or who have kids who've seen SpongeBob SquarePants, the tagline is, you had to kill him. The guy cries you a sweater of tears, and you kill him. Quote from Mr. Krabs. Hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. But, which kind of leads to an interesting thing. Uh, Newsbusters actually picked up on this whole Obama Youth Junior Fraternity Regiment program thing. And Newsbusters is, uh, is for, uh, an outlet of the Media Research Center. And uh, they, were, they were definitely creeped out by this. And uh, P.J. Gladnick from... Uh, uh, the Newsbusters organization contacted the uh, the the organization in question. Let me read this from the Newsbusters website. It says, in some ways, this video is even more disturbing than the video of the children singing a tribute to Barack Obama. I, yeah, I haven't played that, but you can look that up. In this case, we see a bunch of kids dressed in paramilitary uniforms ritualistically shouting out their praise for Obama. Yes, according to the chants, these kids are supposedly inspired to enter various professions, all thanks to a certain Chicago machine politician. This is reminiscent of North Korean kids chanting out their praises for the dear leader. And in this performance by students of Urban Community Leadership Academy of Kansas City, uh, you know, is it even legal? Here's here's what the information box says next to this video. I called and spoke to Bernard, who said he was the assistant dean. He was very gentlemanly, and when I voiced my concerns about the video, he told me that this was taken at the school last year when Obama was beginning his campaign. He assured me that they stopped this regiment because they they felt the person who was organizing it was pushing his political agenda. <laughs> you think? <laughs> He assured me that he didn't know it was on YouTube. I gave him the link to where to go for this video, and when he found it, he said, Oh, this is not good. I had no idea. I told him I'd take his word for it, and then he asked me nicely, What's the main concern? Because I wanted to understand where you're coming from so that I can figure out how to handle this. And nicely, I told him that the video looked militant. I told him that the about the Colburn School video and how it resembles the propaganda films from communist dictatorships. And I told him that the U.S. military is frowned upon for going to high schools trying to recruit potential grads into joining the ranks. Why should we, uh, shouldn't we frown on those who come to a school like yours to encourage kids to worship a politician, one who isn't even a president? Now, that's interesting. You know, so even, even the guy who saw the video and put it on YouTube he, his interpretation of it was that there was some type of worship going on regarding Obama. I, he says, I also said that if this was uh, done to make kids feel better about themselves, why do it in the name of Obama? Why not encourage kids to believe in the power of themselves? Now, that's an interesting point here. I would say uh, what's interesting about this, rather than believing the power of themselves or believing the power of Obama, why aren't they, you know, we should be encouraging kids to look to a higher power. Can you say Jesus Christ? You see, listen, this is where it gets interesting. You could say, you know, here we got these kids. Listen, listen to one of these kids talking about their inspiration here. Because of Obama, I'm aspiring to be the next automotive technician. Because, uh, let me translate, because of Obama, I aspire to be the next automotive technician. Man, there's just, there is something socialistic, uh, you know, that kind of rings through this. 
And, uh, you know, isn't it God who calls us into vocations and ministry and things like that because of Jesus Christ? You know, I am I'm a radio show host, right? Yeah, it, see, there's, there's something really off here, just something really off. You know, were these kids just sitting around playing video games and eating potato chips, and then Obama came along and inspired them to actually get a job? Yeah. Uh, anyway, moving along. Nate writes. <laughs> now, this is, this one goes back a few uh, few shows, so let me prepare you in advance for that little factoid. But he, he, boy, he brings up a great point, and it just makes me go, wow. You know, again, you guys are, like, on this, like, white on rice. And uh, let me let me quit the mail program so that I don't continue getting that email sound. Oh, Rosebro, you need to have a checklist of things that you should do before you go on the air. Turn off email program. Otherwise, it go bong, bong. <laughs> All right. He says, in listening to, Nate writes, he says, in listening to the Beatles sermon review. Remember the Beatles sermon review that we did? He says, the life coaches, notice he doesn't even call him a pastor. Good for you, Nate. He says, the life coach's choice of songs was interesting. He chose not to name the song Across the Universe, which is its proper title, instead giving it the name Nothing's Gonna Change My World. It was interesting. It was an interesting selection for a, quote, Christian sermon, given that it has a mantra as part of its chorus. And I'm going to mess up this, the, it, this pronunciation. It's Jai... Guru Deva Om. Yeah, I can't sing it. Anyway, he says, I've always understood this to be a song describing what one experiences during transcendental meditation. Uh, Nate, you were on the nose there. I actually did some internet research. And let me read to you the uh, the Beatles lyrics here for Across the Universe. It is not called Nothing's Gonna Change My World, which is what the pastor called it that we reviewed for his Beatles sermon. It, the, the, the words are flying, words are like, uh, words are flying out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither while they pass. They slip away across the universe. Pools of sorrow, waves of joy are drifting through my open mind, possessing and caressing me. Jai Guru Deva Om. Nothing's going to change my world. Nothing's going to change my world. Okay. Images of broken light which dance before me like a million eyes that call me on and on. On across the universe, thoughts meander like a restless wind inside a letterbox. They tumble blindly as they make their way across the universe. Jai Guru Deva Om. Okay, now did some research. Jai Guru Deva Om. What on earth does that mean? Well, it turns out that that actually means something. By pizza? It doesn't mean buy pizza. Yeah. It, what it really means is buy Pirate Christian Radio gear and support Pirate Christian Radio. <laughs> We're coming out with stuff soon, 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 soon. We've had some problems with our delivery here for our uh, Pirate Christian Radio t-shirts and gear. Yes, we need. We're going to sell stuff in order to con, uh, to offset our production costs, but that's not what it means either. Okay, it doesn't mean that. And uh, this is where it gets really mean, weird. So I'm looking at a website that well, the guy did a lot of research, and it says. Uh, the 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 words Guru Dave, okay, it's Guru Dev, and that is a actual person, okay, and um, apparently who wrote this song? Was it McCartney or um, Lennon? Lennon, John Lennon wrote this one, not from the yeah, from the Fab Four, not from Soviet Union. Just had to make that clear. 
No, not one of the apostles. Right. Okay. So listen to this. Guru Dev Dave is invoked in the song because he was uh, the Maharishi Mahesh Yoga's teacher. So he was the master of Maharishi, uh, who was their transcendental guru. He's an actual person, and they invoked him in their meditation every day. So when you hear that Jai Guru Dave Om, that is part of what the Beatles were engaging in on a daily basis in their meditation. They invoked Guru Dave. So a, a guru is a teacher or a spiritual leader of sorts. And Dave, according to some other sites I went to, means God or heavenly one. Okay. <laughs> and Guru Dev was Maharishi's uh, guru, his instructor. So uh, in in this song, John Lennon appeared to take the liberty of adding in the uh at the end. Apparently it had to do with making it fit in the melody better. And Jai, uh, J-A-I, means there are several meanings for this, and uh, they are it could be give hope or give thanks to, um, or victory, a salutation. And then Om um, is literally is supposed to be the natural vibration of the universe. Om, that's the natural vibration of the universe. Hence, when you... <laughs> Uh, when you put it all together, one valid translation of Jai Guru Dev Om is uh, I give thanks or victory or salutation to the Guru Dave or the Heavenly Teacher Om. Okay, that's what that means. Another interpretation of that little phrase is victory to God divine. Om. Okay. So, that being said, it's clear that this is not, I repeat, not, and I know this is going to sound really negative and close-minded of me, um, the Beatles, uh, this was definitely not a Christian praise song by any stretch of the imagination, and woven into it was Eastern Hindu, New Age, mystical, transcendental meditation stuff. So I think that, that knowing this about the song would absolutely disqualify it from ever being used as a text for a Christian sermon, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. Well, I know I know we have to be relevant, right? You know? No, we don't. We have to be faithful. That's the point. So, uh, Nate, thanks for bringing that up. Anyway, uh, Nate also writes, and I'm going to have to censor Nate's email. He uses some words that may be a little strong. He, he didn't use his inside words, but that's okay. I'll, I'll translate for you. <laughs> but I I share his sentiments. So he used bowling words. He used bowling words, right? <laughs> Nate continues. He says the other thing which always upsets me with these guys is that they take everything under submission to their pretext. For example, in his message, uh, his message was supposed to be about the song "Help," a Beatles song. I didn't hear one reference to the Fab Four song, which is supposedly about John's feeling overwhelmed by fame. Not this pastor's struggles with a driving instructor, despite a sermon to the contrary. The pastors of this kind do not take anything for what it is, only what they want to make of it. They do the same with the Bible, Nate. They don't take the Bible for what it is. They take the, they turn the Bible into what they want to make of it. I sat under the pastor of the Connection Church in Kyle, Texas. Oh, I know that guy. Um, we've exchanged emails. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I actually... Um, put him in the museum uh, of idolatry. Uh, 
And I ran into him. I ran into him at the purpose driven uh, at the purpose driven uh, community conference. Oh yeah, that that was uh, <clears throat> yeah. Oh man, let me see what we got here. The Connection Church in Kyle, Texas. Let me go to his blog really quick. No, we uh, apparently we're on two different pages. Um, <laughs> oh, that's just that's just how it how it goes. Um, let's see here about us. Let's see our story, our vision. Yeah, there we go. I'm on the Connection Church's website. And I want to find this. It's Cole Phillips. That's his name, Cole Phillips. Cole Phillips is the pastor of the Connection Church in, in Kyle, Texas. He's a purpose-driven guy. He's actually um, he's a, he's ascended in the ranks. He's not just a purpose-driven guy. He's like a purpose-driven guru. And he, oh, oh, oh yeah, a purpose-driven guru. <laughs> anyway, um, so. Uh, I know that's terrible. I really apologize for that. I know some of your ears are bleeding right now. Thank, thanks, Chris, for singing to us. Anyway, uh, uh, Cole Phillips is is the pastor of the Connection Church, and he he actually is goes to other churches to train them how to be purpose driven. Okay, and uh, what's funny is is that I put uh, some, I, I put at least two that I know of. Uh, exhibits in the Museum of Idolatry in honor of Cole Phillips because last year he was one of those uh, pastors who did those, uh, you know, Jesus at the movies kind of thing where he was exegeting the latest movies. But Nate writes me, he was actually in attendance at the uh, Connection Church in Kyle, Texas last year, last summer. Listen to this. Anyway, he says, I sat under the pastor at the Connection Church in Kyle, Texas for a short time. I remember his God on Film series pitch. Yeah, well, we, we reviewed that at the Museum of Idolatry. I was one of the earliest members, and he was telling the, quote, core group about his idea for a series on finding biblical truths in the movies. I was intrigued at first. I was only starting my journey out of contemporary evangelicalism and thought it might be a way for people to get into the Scripture. I realized the first year there wasn't going to be any true study of the Scripture or the movies. Exactly. See, that's the thing with these movie sermons, these... Bible studies based upon TV shows of the latest fad flick that's come out. It's neither a Bible study nor a, a real good study of even what the, the you know is going on in the movie or television show. You know, because Gilligan's Island has so many spiritual truths for it to teach us. Anyways, he continues. Um, the second year, the movies changed, but the topics stayed the same. Everything seemed to be crammed into their predetermined agenda. They would pick the sermon topics. And relevant movies, before the movies were released, they would then go to the movies searching only for those elements that would fit into their pre-selected topic. It gave me a tremendous insight as to how they uh, approached the scripture, and it scared me. I may be a little too cynical, but I wonder if these supposed felt needs of the seekers uh, of the seeker aren't also what uh, they have predetermined and then preached. Ah, that's the point, yeah. You're, we determine what your felt needs are for you, and we'll preach to those. That is to say, they aren't concerned about what the unchurched or the post-church want, rather what these pastors think these people want. Uh, <laughs> they don't care what the results of any of these study actually are, and they mangle them to fit their agenda. Nate, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Great email, Nate. Good insight. Thanks for the heads up on the Jai Guru Dev uh, Om. Yeah, I'm messing that up. All right. Let's see here. Uh, mm-hmm, oh, where'd that other one go? Ah, here we go. <laughs> this is a good one. 
this is another Nate. Oh, it's the same Nate. Nate wrote me two emails. Am I allowed to read two emails from the same person on the same day? Yeah. Let me check our policy manual. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, the policy manual doesn't forbid. You know, Nate actually wrote me another email. <laughs> Listen to this one. He says, I was listening to a review of Rex Kwan Do's sermon. <laughs> we love Rex Kwando. Rex Kwando is our loving name for um, Pastor Bill Shear of Guts Church. He's a, uh, he's a prosperity heretic. He teaches the prosperity gospel. And what's really funny is, is that uh, apparently since our, uh, we've done a couple of reviews of his sermons, um, they've been locking down their sermons, and you have to enter a password and register with them in order to hear them, which is perfectly great with me. I, mean, I hope they keep this up, you know. Yeah, because it makes it harder for people to be exposed to his heresy. Anyway, he sounds just like Rex Kwando from uh, from Napoleon Dynamite. Bow to your pastor, bow. <laughs> and so we have a little spoof that we do for. So, uh, so I was listening to a review of Rex Kwando's sermon where he declared that he is not a sinner. My six year old was in the car, and when the pastor, he has pastor in quotes, made his sin free declaration, my son said, "That's wrong." Smart kid. Good way to go. He says, I asked him why he said that, and he said, because everybody sins. And he said, I was so proud of my son. Of course, we were using the small catechism, <laughs> much to the annoyance of my mother-in-law. Uh, oh, oh, don't even get me started. Anyway, Nate, glad to hear that you're using the small catechism. Folks, great, great synopsis of the basics of the Christian faith. If you haven't uh, read, looked at, used Luther's small catechism, get into it. I mean, Great, great stuff. It teaches you the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed. You know, it teaches you the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it teaches you about baptism, confession, forgiveness of sins, morning and evening prayers. It's just chock full of good, basic stuff. So, anyway, thanks, Nate, for both emails. I'm trying to sneak. He snuck that. He snuck that was both in, didn't he? All right, um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll finish up our email, and we're going to dive into a question, uh, one of one of the emails regarding uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit and good works in the church. So gifts of the Holy Spirit and good works in church. It'll be very interesting. So uh, stay with us, and uh, if you would like to email me, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, and uh, we'll be right back. study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quan Do. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, 
Listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay. When I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are hand-picked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. I am Chris Roseboro. Today is the ascension of the new emperor of the United States. The Messiah. His Holiness Obama. Boy, I hope <laughs> Wouldn't it be interesting if that didn't turn out that way? It, I mean, here you had the media saying he's going you know, he's up 54 to 42. It's going to be some kind of a landslide. What would happen if if McCain won? He, he could win. He could I mean, he could win. I mean, people are going to go out there and vote, right? I mean, wouldn't that be interesting if that is that what happened? I mean, there'd probably be people rioting in the streets of Kenya. You know, in Jamaica, and I mean, apparently the Brits and the uh, and the Irish and the French and the Germans all want Obama. I, from what I understand, uh, uh, oh, 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 <laughs> even the Palestinians and some uh, terrorist organization have thrown their hat behind Obama. Isn't that great? <laughs> all right, got a great email here. Um, we'll do this email, and then we'll talk about Obama. All right, he says, uh, the, Pastor Ryan writes me. And that's his name. His name is Pastor Ryan. He didn't say where he's from, so I'm assuming he's from somewhere on the planet. <laughs> well, that's a safe assumption. Um, 
No, I have to say that because uh, we have we have quite a good we have a following in uh, Canada, the UK, uh, Australia, and New Zealand, and so uh, you know, Pirate Christian Radio is one. Is, we're we're not locked down to any terrestrial signal, so, signal. So you know, we, we get out. When you look at our with geostats. It's pretty. It's pretty strong. So Pastor Ryan writes me. He says, he says, I, 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 he says, I'm new to uh, what you're doing, and I'm really loving it. It has been eye-opening, to say the least, especially since uh, I am a young pastor who's been greatly tempted by the seeker movement. Okay, he's responding to something I actually wrote at ExtremeTheology.com, and I've given his email kind of a battlefield promotion so that we can talk about it on fighting for the faith. He said, I've read the book Pop Goes the Church, and even had my board read it. But I believe that the Lord has done a great work in me, convicting me of leading people astray by believing that you could ever be relevant without the gospel. Wow. Thank the Lord. You know, I, you know, God's word is going to do what God's word is going to do. And through the Holy Spirit, we're convicted of our sin and repent. And very happy to hear that Pastor Ryan, you know, was convicted that he was leading people astray. You know, by trying to be relevant without the gospel, he says, I'm happy that as I look back on my sermons that I have preached, that I have boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. But I believe I have failed in teaching more law than gospel. Again, Ryan, you know, that's so funny that um, that that is our natural tendency. We as human beings are comfortable with the law. We really are. Uh, the thing we're uncomfortable with is that whole gospel thing. The the, the thought that. <clears throat> That guy who was born under suspicious circumstances, yeah, come on, a virgin birth, you know, grew up in a in obscure poverty in a backwater district of the Roman Empire, crucified as a criminal. I mean, think about it. His own, the own, the religious leaders of his day, the people who were the most moral in that society, threw their vote against him. The state threw their vote against him. The religious people threw their vote against him. He died a criminal's death. That whole gospel, that, and, that, and, and that what Jesus did on the cross saves people from all of their sins for free. For free as a gift. They don't have to pay for it, earn it, work for it. Nothing? Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Did you want it? Never thirst again? Yeah, it says you never thirst again. Yeah, believe in me. That's the work of God. You know, <laughs> the the gospel, we're not comfortable with it. Partly, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why we're not comfortable with it, with it is because partly it just sounds too good to be true. And the reason it sounds too good to be true is because when you look at your own life, you realize, man, I'm wretched. I'm wretched. It's much easier to beat people into submission and give them something to do so they feel like they're making some progress than to really preach the law lawfully in a way that really shows them their complete need for a Savior and that Jesus is the complete solution. I mean, it really, the gospel is one of those things we're not comfortable with. Naturally, it's an alien understanding. The law is written on our hearts. That way we, that's one of the reasons why we gravitate, gravitate towards it. But the gospel comes to us by special revelation through God's word. It's not something that's written in us, and nobody would figure this out by nature. This just doesn't happen. So anyway, but uh, he continues in his email. Um, it says, in believing that obedience will somehow... Okay, it says, uh, I, I believe I failed in teaching more law than gospel. I believe that, that obedience will somehow make us right. Now I have finally understood that we will never be right, 
and and only because of the Spirit in us can we ever do any good at all. Absolutely, that's the Holy Spirit sanctifying us. So here's my question or questions for you. What is the role of the church as far as works are concerned? This is a great follow-up question to the gospel because, you know, we understand we understand, and we we absolutely affirm what James says in when he says that just as the body that isn't breathing is dead, okay, if you want to know if a body is a, is dead or, or alive, hold a mirror up and see if the mirror gets fogged. If a body can fog a mirror, then that body is alive. Okay, if the body can't fog a mirror and it isn't breathing, it's dead. So faith without works is dead. Works flow from faith as fruit. Okay, so which is interesting. So is it wrong for churches to have ministries that promote work, such as clothing drives, raking leaves? food pantries, on and on. Is it wrong to encourage people to serve in a volunteer position in the church? Many churches encourage people to find out what their spiritual gifts are and then use those gifts to glorify God through works. Has the evangelical church got it all wrong? If so, please tell me what you believe the church should look like as far as works of the church and works of the individual believer uh, should look like. Thanks again for the help. Again, I love uh, what you're doing and look forward to your future uh, postings and answers. All right. So, uh, Pastor Ryan... Okay. First, let me let me kind of put it to put it backwards this way. Um, there's nothing uniquely Christian about raking leaves. Okay. There's nothing uniquely Christian about food pantries. There's nothing uniquely Christian about uh, charitable acts of mercy. For instance, um, the Masons and the Shriners. They build hospitals, take care of poor people, and you know. And are are very much involved in acts of mercy. Okay, so just because somebody's involved in an act of mercy doesn't necessarily make it Christian. Okay, so um, I think what it, when we look at those types of acts of mercies, the first thing we have to ask ourselves: What is that springing from? Okay, for instance, okay, Mormons. They they are involved in acts of mercy. I mean, I was amazed. A college friend of mine, uh, he and his wife had hit the skids as far as you know, financial problems were concerned, and they happened to be Mormons. And there, the the Mormon social services, uh, the food they received, and the the welfare that they even the help that they received during that uh, financial crisis was amazing. I mean, they didn't lose their house. They didn't go without meals. That everybody ate healthy and just fine. It's like, wow. Okay. So the question, you know, so here's the deal. Good works don't necessarily tell us anything about, you know, what's, what's the motive behind it. Now, if I believe that I have that, that my salvation in part is earned or attained through good works, then my motivation for doing them ultimately is selfish. I'm helping you out so that I can help me out. You're helping you're helping me help myself. So I'm going to help you and by helping you it helps me help myself. Okay? So maybe it's because I believe I'm going to get an extra crown or two in heaven, maybe get uh, an extra wing put on my mansion in heaven, maybe get a couple more laps in the in the pool, you know, when I get to heaven. You know, who knows, okay? If you if your ultimate motivation for doing these good works is because by doing them you earn you God owes you do that because you're somehow it's merit it merits something, then your ultimate reason for doing it is selfish, and it's not a good work. 
Yeah. Um, your reward is here. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that amazes me is, you know, I've heard many, many, many prominent evangelical pastors tell the world about all the great things they're doing. And to which I basically say, hmm, you've earned your reward. You've gotten it. You, you've you've got you've got the praise of men. And so Christ, one of the things he tells us is that when we do things, do not let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. You know, when you pray, don't put on sackcloth and ashes. Don't let everyone know you're doing it. It drives me crazy. You know, you ever heard of public displays of affection? I went to a Christian high school. Okay. PDAs, as they were referred to, public displays of affection were highly frowned upon. Okay. If, if, if you were a boyfriend and a girlfriend couple and, uh, what, we'll get to that. John asked, what is a good work? We'll get to that. When uh, If you were a, girl, a boy and a girlfriend couple and you were <clears throat> caught smooching, um, snuggling, holding hands at school, that was a PDA. And PDAs were punishable offenses. Okay. Now, there's uh, there's something worse than PDAs. Yeah, the six-inch rule. That's right. The six-inch rule applied at Christian school. Um, there's something worse than a PDA in my mind, and that's a public display of piety. Okay, man, it bugs me. You know, I'm holier than you because I wear monkly vestments, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. so uh, bad stuff. But um, so we're going to have to talk about what is a good work. And, and the other thing I want to talk about is what what are spiritual gifts? Okay. So I think in, in talking about good works and spiritual, you know, it, it, part of we have to talk about spiritual gifts. So as far as acts of mercy are concerned, good works, I'm going to make this perfectly clear. Christians ought to be doing these things. Okay. And I'm going to make an even bolder claim. Uh, uh, wealthy Americans, wealthy Americans, you need to stop this obsession you have with things. And put away some of your money to help those in need. As a Christian, you have a responsibility to do that. You ought to do it. Now, notice I'm putting it in the ought and I'm preaching the law. Okay? Why? Because the purpose of the law is to show your sin. So um, the answer to the question is we must be doing these things. And if you're not doing these things, there's something seriously wrong. (laughs) Right? Notice, preaching the law to convict sin. Okay? But let me back some of this up. First of all, let's talk about gifts of the Spirit and good works. Because, uh, Ryan, one of the things I've noticed about um, you, you're talking about here, you put two things together. He says, here's my question. What is the role of the church as far as works are concerned? Is it wrong for churches to uh, promote works such as clothing drives, raking leaves, food pantries, and on and on? Is it wrong to encourage people to serve in a volunteer position? Many churches encourage people to find out what their spiritual gifts are. Okay, so you've kind of taken these works of mercy and spiritual gifts and kind of thrown them into the same bucket. Let's talk about this real quick. Um, let's read the passages in the scriptures regarding spiritual gifts. So I'm going to start by looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 7. Now, uh, what's happening here in this passage, if you want the greater passage, uh, the context, is Paul is talking about different gifts of the Spirit and some of the abuses of those gifts. Specifically, the abuse of the gift of tongues comes up in, this, in, this, in the greater context of this passage. But... Um, in talking about general spiritual gifts, let me read to you First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, starting at verse seven. It says, "To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good." Okay, so um, understand this: all Christians receive uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of those gifts is the common good. 
Okay, and we're gonna he's gonna further define what that's all about here in a second. He says, "For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom; to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit; to another, faith by the same Spirit; to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit; to another, works workings of miracles; to another, prophecy; to another, the ability to between between uh, to distinguish between spirits; and to another, various kinds of tongues; and to an, and to another, the interpretation of tongues." All of these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So just real quick. Okay. Every Christian receives gifts from the Holy Spirit for the common good. And he's listed off, you know, what some of these are. This isn't a complete list because when you look at other passages of scripture, there's some other things that fill in here. It says, okay, so, um, you know, we understand what's going on there. Um, let me give you another passage. It's Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 3, talking about spiritual gifts. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, use it in proportion to your faith. If service in our, in serving, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, so each of us is given different gifts. No one gets them all. Nobody. Okay, and each of them serves a different function in the body of Christ. Just like my body has pinkies, toes, noses. I have a nose. Not more. I don't have multiple noses. I have teeth. I have a couple of eyeballs and some ears. And each of these things serves different purposes. So much the same way, the Spirit apportions to different people different gifts. Okay, let me uh, read a similar passage, Ephesians chapter four, starting at verse 11, talking about uh, the spirit. He gave uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. Okay, Um, so the idea is, is that each the, the Holy Spirit gives different people positions and gifts to to execute those for the work of the ministry and for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children that are tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint by which it is equipped when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, So uh, this is a great cross-reference that basically makes it clear. The gifts of the Spirit, the gifts that God has given, are for the building up and the equipping of the saints, the building up the body of Christ. Okay, so spiritual gifts are used within the body. Okay, for the building up of the body, for the protecting of the body, for for all of these things. And he specifically talks about the the job of speaking the truth, 
uh, growing it, it growing and maturing so that you are no longer carried away or blown about by different winds of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness, and instead speaking the truth in love. That's the really the, really that's what what good. Uh, a good Christian pastor speaks the truth in love. So those are these are all works that uh, uh, that come into play. Now, let me read more scripture here. I just have to keep heaping on here because I want I want to make sure we're getting what scripture talks about here. Going back to First Corinthians chapter fourteen, starting in verse one, I'm going to read a big swath here so that we can get to this one particular uh, verse. But we need to read it in context. It says, "Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially." Uh, that you may prophesy for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now notice we're talking about gifts of the spirit. And Paul here is talking specifically about the abuse of the gift of tongues. And he's encouraging people to not, not pursue tongues, but pursue prophecy. All right. Prophecy really having to do with the fourth telling of the truths of God, all right? And it's specifically for upbuilding and encouraging and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, I want you to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Notice that Paul here is talking about the fact that the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is to build up the body of Christ. That's really what their function is. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if you, if your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? This is an argument against the common practices right now of the charismatic movement. These folks, I'm serious, they are in defiance of the word of God and the clear teachings of the word of God. Okay. All right. So if, if you speak in a tongue, utter speech that is not intelligible, how will any of you know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if you do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. There is that theme again, building up. The gifts are given for the building up of the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Why? Because he should strive to to exercise the gift that God has given him in a way that builds up the church. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is completely unfruitful. What am I to do? Well, I'll pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Okay, again, there's that idea. The gifts of the spirit are for building up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not, do not be 
uh, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the, in the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, t- songs, tongues are a sign for unbelievers, uh, for believers, but for unbelievers. Uh, Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign for unbelievers, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophecy and uh, prophesy and are uh, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So, in looking at the gifts of the Spirit and good works in the church, good works are done in the church for the building up of the body. And these gifts include mercy and service and administration and things of that nature. So, uh, we need to encourage Christians to exercise the, the, the gifts that God has given them for the building up of the body of Christ. That's really the whole goal. God didn't give you a gift so that you can go practice it for yourself, by yourself, and with yourself. Uh, excuse the, um, the, the metaphor here, but that sounds like spiritual masturbation, and that's not what God has called us to. He's called us to, into community, into the body of Christ, given us gifts for the building up of the body. So, do we do these things? Absolutely. Then understanding that the, another aspect of, of this is, is that good works are not limited to this only stuff that's done in church. No, we read from, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 9, Paul writes this, Now concerning brotherly love... You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For what indeed is what you are doing to all of the brothers throughout Macedonia? But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Okay. So what we read in here is is that the work of our hands is what we're to aspire to. So how do we serve our neighbors out in the world? Primarily through our vocation. And I thank God for firefighters, for grocers, for farmers, for uh, winemakers. (laughs) I thank God for my attorney. I thank God for the guy who, uh, who fills the gas station pump up with gas. All of these things that we do, all of the stuff we do in our vocation is a way in which we serve our neighbor. Understanding this, God doesn't need our good works, our brother does. Okay? So we serve our brothers in love, in the vocation that we do, and on top of it, we do our work in such a way as to share and to give away and serve. Okay? So should we have... Uh, ways in which the church does acts of mercy, by all means we should. 
And we do those things not because we're earning our salvation through them or earning brownie points or got, got more stars on our star chart when we get to heaven or earn another crown. We do these things because Christ loved us. And by us serving and doing these good works, we can't help but do them because that's what faith does. It shows our faith is alive. Right? So that's how this is done. It really comes down to, you know, is this a fruit of faith or is it an act of works righteousness? If it's an act of works righteousness, it's not an act of faith, and it's it's bad fruit, even though it looks the same. Two people might be doing the exact same thing. There might be two people this Thanksgiving working at a soup kitchen right next to each other. One guy will be slopping the mashed potatoes and gravy. Another person will be pouring on the, uh, you know, the putting out the turkey and, and, and the uh, cranberry sauce, right? Both of them working in the same soup kitchen right next to each other, handing out a meal. One of them is doing it thinking, wow, God must really be proud of me because I'm here in this place deigning to make myself lower to meet with these poor homeless people and give them a Thanksgiving meal. Oh, I feel sorry for that person. Now, the other person might be going, man, I'm so glad that I am given this opportunity to serve my neighbor in love and to show the mercy that Christ has shown me to these people completely different thing isn't it so when we talk about good works good work is done through faith not through works righteousness and gifts of the body uh, gifts of the holy spirit are given for the building up of the body of christ that's why this is one of the reasons why um the seeker sensitive movement and the whole purpose-driven paradigm for doing church is uh, it, it has thing ba- things backwards. You don't turn the church service into evangelism because the purpose of teachers and preachers and pastors is for the building and edification of the church. We must do evangelism. We must reach out to people who are unbelievers. We must share the gospel and the love of Christ with people. But don't sacrifice church you know, you know, as, a, as an evangelistic outreach because it sacrifices the purpose that, and the gifts that God has given us for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. So, anyway, enough of Rose Bros rant. <laughs> We're going to dive into our second break here. Uh, if you would like to email me on this uh, gifts of the Spirit, works, righteousness, and things that the church should be doing, please do so. By the way, Pastor uh, Ryan, great question. Thanks for emailing. Um, you can do so with, you can write me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com talkback at fightingforthefaith.com and uh, we'll be right back after this break we got more Obama stuff to get into and then I've got my interview with uh, the, the co-founder of One Million for Jesus Christ we'll be right back If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rob Rosenblatt of the Whitehorse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, 
available exclusively at newreformationpress.com or the big picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. We're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and I am Chris Rosebro. It's Election Day here in the United States. We've been covering the Obama story from the angle of, is Obama running for the office of Messiah? By the way some of his supporters act, you'd think that's the case. Yesterday we uh, did a little comparative work looked at how the Apostle Paul and Barnabas handled it when people thought that they were gods. We looked at how the Apostle Peter acted when uh, Cornelius got down and tried to worship him. And we took a look at how the angel rebuked none other than the Apostle John for daring to get down and worship the angel. And this is in the book of Revelation. Each and every case showed that the Christian responsibility, when people inappropriately perform acts of worship towards human beings that the Christian response if the, the Christian ha- if it's a Christian who happens to be on the receiving end of that worship the Christ- the correct Christian response is don't do it I'm just a man we worship God and serve him only so I uh, did a little bit of uh, digging around and I found um, Barack Obama some audio of Barack Obama on the Today Show being interviewed by Matt Lauer and Matt Lauer asks him about this. Okay? And uh, Obama's response kind of dodges the Messiah issue altogether. He sidesteps it. And what's really creeping me out about watching the video on this is uh, when Matt Lauer brings it up, Obama lights up like a Christmas tree. He looks really thrilled. You know, (laughs) this is great. So here we go. Here's Barack Obama being interviewed by Matt Lauer, and Matt Lauer is asking the question about um, people calling Barack Obama the one, the Messiah. This idea that you are the one, Oprah's words. Um, Or that one. Yeah, yeah, that one, John McCain's words. Uh, People have called you the Savior, the Messiah, the messenger of change, the expectations. Did you see how he lit up there, John? Watch, watch Obama's face. Here we go. This is, we're playing this again, and John here will be my my witness as to Obama's face kind of lighting up. Watch this. This idea that you are the one, Oprah's words, um, or that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that one. John McCain's words. Uh, people have called you the savior, the Messiah, the messenger of change. The expectations have been raised to such a level. Some people say you're partly responsible because of your confident attitude. If you are, as you just say, lucky enough to be elected the next president, are you going to have to consciously manage expectations during the first several months of your administration? Yes, even before I'm sworn in. Um, Not in terms of what I think we can accomplish long term, but I think it's very important to understand that we're not going to reverse all these problems overnight. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. All right, so there's Obama 
asked a question about uh, being the Messiah, and uh, what was missing from his answer was what's the thing that's kind of bugging me. You know, again, not that Roseboro would ever run for president because I'm not electable. <laughs> no. Anybody who would nominate me for president, uh, nah, not a good idea. Anyway, if I were running for president and Matt Lauer were to sit down with me and there were people who were calling Roseboro the Messiah and writing songs about me where Obama, uh, Roseboro be thy name and and calling Roseboro the Alpha and Omega and rewriting Christian song, uh, Christian hymns in, in praise of Roseboro. Um, and Matt Lauer were to ask me that question, I would say right out of the chute, first of all, these people who are doing this, they need to knock that off. I'm a human being. I'm a man. I am not a God. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the anointed one. And there is one who is, and that's Jesus Christ. I'm running for president of the United States, and that office is distinctly lower and subservient to the office that Jesus Christ holds as Messiah. That would be the Christian response, right? Uh, instead, Obama kind of lights up when... Uh, <laughs> When Matt Lauer asks the question, and he kind of dodges the whole Messiah issue and just says he's going to have to manage expectations. <laughs> so it, it is the proper term for him now once he gets elected, His Holiness? The Barack, uh, His Holiness Obama? Just Mr. President, yeah. Just Okay, just want to make sure we... We got that right. Now, apparently, this is interesting. The Christian Anti-Defamation Commission put out seven YouTube videos and uh, that are prominently featured on their website as to seven reasons why Barack Obama is not a Christian. Now, all right, you know, okay, I'm kind of game. You know, it, I believe he's not the Messiah, obviously. Um, so this is interesting. What's funny about this is that using this exact same argument, we can say that George Bush is not a Christian. Okay, and I'm I'm going to basically say I doubt George Bush is a Christian, at least by his understanding of uh, what he says about theology. So real quick, let's listen to the Anti-Defamation Commission's reason, number one, why Obama is not a Christian. Come on, YouTube, you can do it. I'm Reverend Don Hamer. On behalf of the Christian Anti-Defamation Commission, with reason number one, why Barack Obama, who claims to be a Christian, is not a Christian by any biblical or historic measure. In a 2004 interview with Kathleen Falsani, Obama said, I believe that there are many paths to the same place. Obama also said, all people of faith... Christians, Jews, Muslims, animists, everyone knows the same God. But Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Nowhere in the Bible is there a reference to Obama's many paths. At a meeting of evangelical leaders in 2008, Obama was asked whether he believed Jesus was the only way to salvation. Obama replied, Jesus is the only way for me. In a stunning example of subtle diabolical deceit, Obama affirms Christ as his own Savior, then negates Christ as the only Savior of the world. Jesus warned us not to be deceived by those who would lead us astray. 
Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Jesus is the narrow gate and the only way to heaven. Obama's view says, in effect, that Christ's death on the cross was unnecessary since there are multiple ways to God. The many paths of Obama are in reality just the broad road to destruction. Who are you going to believe? Jesus Christ or Barack Obama? Please forward this video to your Christian family and friends so they can be equipped to defend our historic Christian faith from those who seek to defame it. Visit www.defendchristians.org. All right, so there you go. The uh, the Christian Anti-Defamation Commission basically taking a swipe at um, at the at Barack Obama and saying that he's not a Christian. Now, I, I'll admit, hey, I, I'm fair. I, I'm, I'll bite here. Let's just say that everything they said about Obama is true, and that being the case, I would seriously doubt that he's really a true biblical Christian. He's probably an apostate Christian, which is not a Christian at all. Okay. Have no problem saying that because, you know, this whole many paths to the same God kind of thing. But let's be fair here, okay? Let's not single uh, Obama out because, quite frankly, um, listen to George Bush here in an interview that he did not too long ago. And uh, see if you see any difference between Bush's opinion and, and Obama's. Do we all Do we all worship the same God, Christian and Muslim? I think we do. Does. We have different routes of getting to the Almighty. Does Bin Laden, do, does uh, Abu Musab al-Zarqawi pray to the same God that you and I do? Uh, I think they pray to a false God. Otherwise, they wouldn't be killing uh, innocent lives like they have been. Do Christians and non-Christians, do Muslims go to heaven in your mind? Yes, they do. We have different routes of getting there. But I, will, I want you to understand, I want your listeners to understand, I don't get to decide who goes to heaven. The Almighty God decides who goes to heaven. All right, so there you go. All right. uh, So where's the anti-Christian defamation commission uh, coming out against George Bush and his many paths? Right? So I don't... uh, this that sword cuts both ways. That is a double-edged sword. It cuts Democrat and it cuts Republican. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Just you know, it's one of those things. That just you know, okay. So we shouldn't vote for Obama because he's not a Christian. Well, I shouldn't have voted for George Bush either. Then, based on the same criteria, just wanted to point that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, if we're if we're going to use those kinds of arguments, folks, let's be consistent. I'm serious. Let's be consistent here. You know, we you know, if we're going to defend the the kingdom of God against false doctrine, then we must defend it from whichever direction it comes: Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, moderate. You know, who cares? Anyway, just wanted to point that out. <laughs> All right, now for the uh, for the remainder of the program. We're, I, I had an opportunity, uh, one million for Jesus Christ. Yeah, I had the opportunity to interview the co-founder of a website, uh, which is 1m4jc.com. Okay, now, 
as the curator of the uh, Museum of Idolatry, I am not a fan of Jesus junk whatsoever. You know, that's just, I have a huge problem when people basically put out products in the name of Christianity or in the name of Jesus Christ, and um, and they're, you know, and what what are they doing? They're making a buck off Jesus, okay? And so um, the, the gentleman I interviewed, his name is Jim Mayhew. He is the co-founder of One Million for Jesus Christ, which is a website that's goal is to sell one million T-shirts individually numbered, um, and he believes that he, that God inspired him to do this. Okay, the one thing that's going to be perfectly clear as you read it: this guy is not some kind of schlocky charlatan out to make a fast buck. He doesn't sound like a snake oil salesman. He sounds like a very young Christian who has a lot of zeal for his faith, and he believes that God inspired him to do this. So I ask him some hard-hitting questions, and I also ask him some theological questions. And, and I like the interview because it helps us kind of get into the mind of somebody who 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 is out there promoting products that we, that many of us would not exactly be comfortable with. But with that in mind, uh, this is my interview with Jim Mayhew of one million for Jesus Christ.com. Okay, on the line, I've got with me uh, co founder of One Million for Jesus Christ. His name is Jim uh, Mayhew. Is that correct, correct Jim? Yes, yes. Okay, and uh, you, you're in Iowa? Yes, uh, we're in East Central Iowa. A small. I'm actually in a small little town of about 5,000 called Vinton. Vinton, okay, so you're in Vinton, Iowa. All right, and he is the co-founder, uh, like I said, of a website that is called One Million for uh, Jesus Christ. It's actually 1M4JC.com, and uh, it looks like, from what I can tell on the site, that the purpose of the site is to sell one million T-shirts uh, for Jesus Christ. So, Jim, can you tell me a little bit about your company and uh, and what your goal is, and, and we'll talk about your inspiration for this. Okay, Sure. Well, I think you're you're mostly right. Um, our, our shirt, our, our our company really is um, based around the product, the the item, the one million for Jesus Christ T-shirt. Um, but it's a little bit deeper than than just that. Uh, not only in in future products or or ideas that we might have, uh, but also from a way to connect Christians from from various walks. Uh, in fact. We're outside of the United States with this even right now, but it's a way through through our website. One of the components we have is for people to be able to log in and share their testimony. And what's pretty cool is if you visit our site under our testimonial section, um, you would actually see 50 to 60. I'm not sure where we're at total right now, but where people have logged in and said, hey, this is how Jesus Christ has shaped my life. This is the way I was before. This is the way I am now. And, you know, that's what, what we enjoy about that is that it's outside of what our company is about. It's not about a 1M for JC product. It's not about Jim Mayhew or Rob Gedemy or 1M for JC. It is a place for, for Christians to connect. So that's really part two of it. Um, so we look at it as a social networking site mm-hmm. in addition to a Internet um, retail site as well. So it's, it's kind of a combination Internet retail and social networking site that's really kind of in its infancy then. Very much so, yes. I mean, when you think of social networking sites, you might think of MySpace or Facebook. Uh-huh. Um, now, we're not nearly as deep as what that is, but we're building that foundation of, of a community of believers. Okay, got it. 
Now, um, according to your website, 10% of every product sale is going to go towards supporting Christian missions. Um, can you tell me what types of mission uh, organizations uh, uh, 1M4JC.com, but it's hard to say, uh, is, is going to be supporting? Okay, sure. Well, let me, let me just clarify one thing also, is that we're giving 10% off the top. That means that's not 10% off of our profits. It's 10% off of the, the product, gross product price. Okay. okay. So each T-shirt um, is roughly 20 bucks. so for each, yeah, out of $2 of every, uh, every T-shirt yeah. sale is going to go towards missions. That is correct. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, for examples of some of them that we have supported right now, uh, we have supported, uh, I'm actually trying to get those notes from me because I don't remember those off the top of my head here, uh, but there's a, a pregnancy crisis center that mm-hmm. we have supported called, um, oh, lost it. Just a moment, and I can get that for you. Okay. Um, but but we've got, uh, we've, we've supported Food for the Hungry. Um, we have supported an uh, evangelical school out of Missouri that is connected with our church. Quite honestly, you know, we're in our infant stages with this goal. Uh-huh. Um, and we've actually given far more than the 10%. We've given probably more than 20%, and I don't have those exact numbers. Uh-huh. But our, our giving at this point has has far has been far greater than what we've taken in, you know, as 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 really uh, as profits. Because there's the, you know, we have the costs of marketing and, and advertising and all those things, right? You know, deal with as any business would. Okay. Um, but those are examples. All right. Um, now I'm looking at uh, the about page on your website. Um, yes. It says why one million for Jesus Christ, and it says. And an, an idea inspired by God. One million for Jesus Christ came out of the blue. It came to me not as, as a voice, but rather as an, an idea inspired by God himself. Right then and there, I knew that 1M4JC could change the world one t-shirt at a time. Um, well, do, explain to me how that inspiration ca- uh, came about. Okay. Uh I'll give you not the not the totally brief one, which is on our website, and, and not the totally long version, but um, this goes back a few years, and um, um, I'm a relatively new Christian uh-huh. uh, of about five years, and uh, if you remember a few years back, uh, there was kind of a national campaign, I believe it was, for uh, Rick Warren's 40 Days of Purpose, which was a small group Bible study. Right. That was that came through our church. That was the first Bible study that that I attended. And um, uh, what was great about that is is a lot of what um, I had been trying to pray to God and ask, you know, for direction. Say, hey, look, what what can I do to serve you? What where can I put my talents and, and marry my faith life and my business life? Because for me, I cannot separate that. Mm-hmm. And so I met. My, who's my eventual partner, Rob, he was one of the members of that group, didn't know him um, before that, uh, but Rob is kind of an entrepreneurial business guy, and um, this was about three and a half, four years ago, he just said, hey, you know, someday we should talk about doing a t-shirt business, because I'm a, I've been in a graphics business, and, and that's my background is graphics, and we had done some, some small t-shirt things. Um, moving forward, um, you know, just asking God, say, look, you know, I've got some I've got some real desire here to to, to do something big. Uh-huh. Well, quite honestly, on uh, one day uh, we drive about a forty-five minute drive into church. Um, once again, I'm in this little town uh, outside of the Cedar Rapids, Marion area. So forty-five minutes, and my analogy has been, 
similar to like when you download a song on the Internet. That idea just started rolling in, and progress bars going by, you know, if you will. And once that, once it was all there, I mean, the whole thing was there. It was, it was an idea for a T-shirt that nobody had attempted before. Uh, I had no idea how logistically we could do it. Um, the giving back component was was very important, and and. Um, I would say that was one of the first things that I was wanting to give more. You know, as Christians, I, we always have opportunities to give. Uh-huh. And, and sometimes it feels like there's not enough resources to give. I mean, we could... Let me pause there for a second. just want to highlight that. The inspiration, he said, was like a download. Okay? And there was progress bars and everything. So he was driving it into church, and, and he was receiving a download. That's... That's critical in understanding what's going on here. That's his feeling. So he, this is a divine inspiration, you know. And it was like being downloaded into his brain from heaven. We, you know, at, from a business standpoint or even a personal standpoint, we could give and give and give until there's nothing left. You know, uh, but I guess my point is, is that the giving back component was uh, extremely important. And so then um, I approached my 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 friend Rob. And I just pointedly asked him after church one day, and I had kind of sat on this idea for about a week, prayed on it, said, look, you know, I'm not smart enough for this. I'm not, I don't have the resources to pull this off, but there's been too many times where I've just, you know, sat back and said, um, maybe next time, God, but thanks, I'm going to pass on this one. And I decided by telling Rob that made me accountable to this dream, and I I honestly do believe it was a God-inspired thing. Okay. Um, and when I told him after church, I could see the, the kind of, like, you got to be kidding me, look in his eyes. And um, I said, well, let's talk about it some more. And, and so I just kind of planted the, the briefness, you know, of, of, of what the, the, the synopsis of, of what the business plan was. Mm-hmm. And he called me a few days later, and he goes, you know what? Like, you're really on to something. This is kind of cool. And so really that was the origin of the dream. And, and the next step was, I was, I got to tell you, Chris, I was terrified. I, I mean, I was, this is something that scared me a lot. And, and one of the reasons why, because when you have something that comes to you that's that big and, and you know what your limitations are, it, it, you know, it, it's just, it's hard to, to move forward and say, okay, I'm going to pursue this. Okay. Got to pause there for a second again. Roseboro has to comment. So basically he believes that he received a download from heaven, from God, to do this big thing. Start a company that was going to sell one million t-shirts that had never been tried before. Okay? Now, I'm not, I mean no disrespect for Jim. Okay? Like I said, I believe he's sincere in what he's saying. You know, but this is very subjective. And um, how is this different than a burning in the bosom that the Mormons get? Okay. You know, and this is one of the, again, one of my, this is a little more subtle, but this comes back to, are we supposed to be expecting visions from God for us to, you you understand what I'm saying? And how do you... How do you know that that's really, really, really from God, and it's not just some idea that you've concocted, or worse, um, something from a different source than a heavenly one? Okay, 
It's how do you know what you know when it comes to the Bible. This is one of the reasons why sola scriptura is an important, important doctrine. All right, we continue. Um, we talked to our pastor. The, the next, the next hurdle I think was was really setting up a meeting with the, the senior pastor, who we're quite close with. Both Rob and I are, and said, "Look, I've got this idea. Um, tell me, tell me what's wrong about it, and tell me, tell me what you know. If I'm crazy, or or do you think that this is something that that can be um, truly?" A remarkable thing for Christ. And so we talked about what potential pitfalls there might be, and we talked about where our hearts were, and we talked about what our goals and, and things like that would be. And so what we did is we kind of established a uh, every other week get-together where we just kind of sat with Pastor John, discussed what was going on, and, and um, you know, if we had some highs or if we had some lows or we had some obstacles, that was a chance for us to kind of talk about it. Uh-huh. And, you know, the, the thing has just kind of rolled from there. Um, fast forward, we, we decided then that we would invest in a, uh, a pretty nice website. You know, we, we started with thinking, well, maybe we can try and build it ourselves, and then we tried to maybe think that we could do it on a, on a lower end, and then we ended up hiring a firm out of the Cedar Rapids area to do it for us. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, it really evolved. Uh, it is much more than what it was originally, the, the social networking and, and community aspect of it wasn't part of the original idea necessarily. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was a feature that came later. Yeah, in in talks with um, consultants and things like that, and and just how we talked about, you know, what's what's unique about our product is that every shirt's got a number on the sleeve. Okay, that's that's the one million part. Okay. And when we designed our shirts, we designed them to be one color and one design. We didn't want to give you six colors in, in eight different designs. Okay. What, purpose, what was the reasoning behind that? Yeah, the purpose behind that really is is that if all of our shirts look the same, I can bump into a total stranger. I might be on in, on vacation next year, uh, let's say in New York City, and I could run into somebody who's wearing that shirt, and I have an instant bond with them. Mm-hmm. I can walk up to them and say, "Hey, cool shirt. What's your number? This is my number." And once again, the, you know, the now, if shirt that's, has the, its own number on the sleeve. If that's a female asking for her number, it could be misconstrued. If you're married, you understand. <laughs> You got to be cautious. You got to use a little bit of uh, uh, a restraint with that, you know. But uh, in fact, that happened to me just this past weekend. Now, I wasn't in New York City, and it, and it was sort of in my backyard. It was at a, a state cross country meet, and and I we stopped along the way to the drive there, and and in a McDonald's, I ran into somebody wearing those shirts. It was very cool to be able to talk to that guy, and and he actually had had bought it from us at one of our summer events. Okay. So the same thing could happen if somebody put up a website that basically said, we want to get one, pe- one million people tattooed and pierced the same way for Jesus. You know, it, so it so basically it allows you to identify other people that you can identify with, you know, when you're out and about. Um, what When you say you, you want to change the world one T-shirt at a time, what kind of change are you dis- are you really envisioning that the world is going to experience as a result of these numbered T-shirts? Okay. Um, you know, really the way I think that we see that and, and the way that we have that worded, the change that we'd like to see is boldness in sharing faith. Okay? It, it, imagine our country, how different it might be, and I mean for the better, if people were bolder about sharing their faith and their convictions and not, not being shy. I mean, that's one of the hardest things as a Christian. Rob and I both share this, is 
to say, hey, Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. And, and whether I say that to you or to a stranger, uh, you know, if I'm talking to somebody who I know is a Christian, um, it's, it's easy. But if I want to share it with guys that I play basketball with or, or business associates or, or a stranger in the elevator, that's a little different. Mm-hmm. And so the other part of our shirt is, you know, being 1M for JC is, is the main logo. It, it does say 1 million for Jesus Christ, but it's smaller on it. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we also have it on the back up, up near the, the collar. So, like, if we are standing in line, let's say, to buy tickets at a movie or, or in McDonald's or wherever it might be, somebody might say, hey, what's that? And once again, there's our, there's our chance to uh, have a little bit of the ice broken and turn around and say, hey, this is why I wear this shirt. Uh, um, you know, Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. So the, the coming back to your question is... The Just got to pause there for a second. <clears throat> All right, so <clears throat> that's quite a lot to ask from a T-shirt. And, and, and again, I don't mean any disrespect for Jim. It's just, you know... It, would we be better to spend our efforts really instructing and building up the body of Christ to equip them to evangelize? You know, if you want if you want to change the world so that people are more bold for sharing their faith, then maybe the time is better spent really walking people through um, how do you share your faith? What is the gospel? How do you overcome objections? Role-playing with them, taking them and teaching them by doing? You know, it, it, you know I, just, I look at this and I see a very well-intentioned idea. But that's the thing. It's, it's a well-intentioned idea. There's, there's more to creating boldness in people than getting them to have a numbered t-shirt. Now, I understand in part here, you know, Pirate Christian Radio is getting ready to have Pirate Christian Radio t-shirts. Why are we doing that? I'll be blunt. We're doing that to make money. Okay? And maybe there'll be somebody who uh, who says, Pirate Christian Radio, what's that? Go listen to it online, and maybe somebody will hear the gospel from it. Okay? But I'm not going to change the world through t-shirt. I can tell. I can tell you quite frankly... The, the thing that'll help, the, the thing that'll change is that we'll be receiving revenue to help offset our production costs. That's how, <laughs> so that's the big change that's going to happen. I, you know, so anyway, I, I mean, I don't have any utopian ideas that, you know, the Pirate Christian Radio t-shirt is going to cause somebody to, you know, if you get a chance to share your faith as a result of it, that's all bonus. But uh, the the primary purpose of these T-shirts is supposedly to change the world to make people more bold about sharing their faith. And the thing is, is that there are millions of different T-shirts out there, Christian T-shirts. I mean, Caruso puts out a truckload of them, you know, that are supposed to be conversation starters when it comes to sharing your faith. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very cynical, especially about Caruso. And now, again, Jim just seems like a nice guy. But, you know, he, he claims that he got this by inspiration from God, and he wants to change the world. It's a lot for a T-shirt to do. Okay, let's continue. The, how do we see it changing the world? Well, we'd love to be able to impact the world, number one, with evangelism. Mm-hmm. But secondly, through our giving back. You know, if we reach our goal, um, we're going to have a lot of shirts out there. One of the things of having high visibility 
is that that's got some notoriety to it. So maybe that gets picked up in the press. Maybe that gets a little bit of publicity. And and we turn that, and, you know, and that can get stunned then that, hey, look at, you know, the Christian movement is alive. It is strong. It's a revival kind of thing. This is just our way to contribute to it. Uh-huh. And, and also if we reach our goals um, from a giving back uh, perspective, you know, a minimum of $2 million is coming back to Christian charities. Uh-huh. And, and, and you do pretty well yourself, too. Well, you know, that's that's one of the things that, that we have actually had a little bit of attack on is, is hey, if you guys sell, you know, a million shirts, you've, you've grossed $20 million, uh-huh. wow, you know, there's $18 million left over. No, there's not, you know, because we've got business expenses along the way. No doubt that, you know, if we reach that goal, I mean, Rob and I are, are not going to hide the fact that this is a business. We're not a not-for-profit. We do hope to earn a living, and I can tell you right now we're not doing that right uh-huh. now from, from the business because it is new. Uh-huh. And, and quite honestly, this is a, a leap of faith. We don't know if we're going to succeed with this or not. This is a trust. Uh, this is, you know, uh, for us an exercise in trusting in God, and, and hopefully, you know, things pay, pay out. But there's this other shot that, you know, that may not happen. Okay, um, so this kind of circles back then to the original question about the inspiration. Let's say you know you you run this thing out for the, the next year and a half, and uh, you end up having to BK the business, and uh, you're out, you know, out of your pocket, you know, twenty, thirty grand, you know, rather than making a profit, you've you've end up lost, losing some money. Was it still inspired by God? Oh, I have to believe it is absolutely. All right. Okay, so the question is, okay, understand, the goal of the website, which is by inspiration of God, is to get one million people to buy T-shirts, individually numbered T-shirts, and change the world one T-shirt at a time through it. The, the vision itself from God includes the one million number. It's supposed to be a big impact. So if they don't reach it, did God really inspire it? Did God inspire it so that they would fail? So what's funny about this interview is it's not just really about the T-shirts and and the fact that they're, you know, they've added their T-shirt into the mix. This is inspired by God. Jim has a vision to sell a million T-shirts and somehow change the world one t-shirt at a time through it, is if he doesn't meet his goal, did God really give him the vision? How do you know God is talking to you? How do you know you're not just deceiving yourself? A lot of subjectivity here, not a lot of objectivity. The the interview goes on, and by the way, I ask him about you know what the gospel is, and he has a pretty accurate uh, definition of the gospel. I don't think he's a heretic, in the sense that you know you know he's got some glaring doctrinal problem. Okay, he has a, a he has an understanding of sin, of repentance. He has an understanding of trusting in Christ. Now, it's not the exact same language I would use, and there's some there's some slippery slippery stuff in there. But I mean, what you basically heard is a gentleman who is sincere about his conviction 
and you know and wants to make a contribution here. And the other part that came about as as a result of it is is that you know he basically said in, in, later in the interview, I'm not going to play it now because we're running out of time. Is that uh, you know it, it's he as a result of this business, he's gotten out to promote these shirts. He's gotten out to uh, events where he's got to share the gospel with unbelievers, and that's commendable, absolutely commendable. But I come back to the question. Is this from God? Was Did God inspire the one million t-shirts for Jesus to change the world one t-shirt at a time? Is it really, really from God? How would you know? How would you not know? Is it based upon the sincerity of the person? What's it based on? How do you know? I leave you with those thoughts and would love to get your email replies because this kind of comes back to, you know, what's going on in, in today's Christianity. Highly subjective, direct revelation from God. And how do we know it's really from him? Email me if you want to. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Till tomorrow. God bless you. We'll talk to you then.